I feel wealthier today than I ever have in my entire life because of financial sobriety. So what's this podcast all about, this financial sobriety thing we're doing? It certainly isn't a traditional conversation about money. There's lots of great people in our industry that talk the traditional game. This is going to be a very unconventional conversation about those three unbelievably complicated relationships that when you put them all together, you don't necessarily think of them this way, but the relationship that you have with money, the relationship you have with your people that mean the most to you, and then the relationship that you have with the person in the mirror. You mean those three relationships go together? They do, and it's a very complex interrelationship between them. And when those get a little bit out of whack, interesting things happen. Do you know anything about that? We should probably introduce ourselves. Who oh, are you? good idea. Jim Gephardt. And I'm Matthew Grishman. I'm your author of the book, Financial Sobriety, and we are going to have some great conversations, so stick around. Hey there. Yes, if you're a regular listener to the show, you know it's me, Ace, producer for Financial Sobriety. So, first things first. Jim and Matthew are fine. They're just very focused on working hard to deliver the next year of structured, intentional, if you will, content for your financial sobriety. What we thought would be fun to do was to revisit some of the prior January episodes and assemble them into a collective piece of great content that if you're a regular subscriber, you'll certainly recognize and appreciate. And if you're new to the program, you'll get an awesome head start into the new year. I think you're going to enjoy it. Here's to a little reflection inward to better project outward. A step back to move forward. Slow down to go faster. And of course, say no more. Start the new year right with a solid dose of purposeful financial sobriety in 2023. I'm going to rewind the tape just a little bit just to help people with the train wreck, right? That was Matthew, <laughs> that in the span of 72 months, you went from broke to having a million six in the bank. Yep. Not a small conversation as we would as we like to say between ourselves. No, it it took an incredible amount of changing my behavior. I I noticed that for the longest time I had lots of thoughts about wanting my life to be different. Even though I was living like a rock star and spending money like it grew on a tree in my backyard, there was always something inside of me that didn't feel congruent. It didn't feel right. I always had these thoughts that my behaviors needed to change, and I kind of hoped for change in my life, but nothing seemed to ever change just by hoping for it. Right. It really required that day of of kind of surrendering and giving up and telling the truth, coming to you having the courage to pick up the phone and call you and come down and see you and spend time with you for me to really begin that path toward financial sobriety. Originally, it was all I ever knew, chase money, make as much money as you possibly could so that you could take care of your people. And if you could take care of your people, then you'd feel good about yourself. And you told me I was close, but I just kind of had that backwards a little bit. And what came out of that was a process that you helped me go through of really understanding what was most important to me in my life and then really working towards aligning how I was using my money to support those things that were really meaningful. Now, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't a perfect six-year period of time where oh, I did sure. all the right things. Right. Otherwise, you'd be on the cover of People magazine of or course. something. Of course. I still had to have that brand new Apple Watch when it first came out. 
Of course, to this day, it still sits on my dresser drawer not being used. You know, complete waste of $400. So I've had plenty of, let's call it, financial relapses over the years. But, you know, like Rocky Balboa always used to say, it's not about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit. And let me tell you, this process of financial sobriety has not been a perfect process, but it has been a process of making progress. And, you know, there was a time where I was at the top of the very of the very top of the financial food chain. When I met you for the first time in 05, I was at the very bottom of the financial food chain. Now I would say I'm somewhere in between. I pay my bills on time. I make more than I spend every month, which is nice. So there's money in the bank left over at the end of the month. I have an intentional savings strategy. I have an intentional spending strategy. And although I'm nowhere near the top of the financial food chain of where I once was, I feel wealthier today than I ever have in my entire life because of financial sobriety. That's a beautiful place to start. Could you tee that up a little better? <laughs> I mean, so there, we what we talked about in the first episode is that there's three critical relationships, but most people get them backwards, Right. It's the relationship that you have with your money. It's a relationship you have with your people. And it's a relationship you have with yourself. Your experience, my observation with many clients over the years, is that people chase the money to make their people happy and they feel good about themselves. That's, the, that's the ideal. Fair enough. Sure. Right? So those being the three critical relationships, we have, we've broken this down and the book is broken down into three sections, three parts. And we're going to start with money. Because you and I both know if we start with you, right, the self, uh, we go to bone too quickly, right? Yeah, that's, we, we gotta, the, that's we the hardest warm, part. That's the hardest part. In the book, in our training workshops, in the curriculum that we've created, we've got a series of different modules or, or little, you know, learning lessons. And what we're going to go through today are just a very high-level overview of what those are all about. Going back to 2006 and seven, when you were trying to, you know, right the ship and, and stop spending money like a rock star— it was all about what we call module number one, which was getting on the right path. Yep. That whole concept, we're going to get into a little bit deeper, so let me just keep rolling here. The second module that we talk about is the bag of crap analysis. There's a funny story that goes along that, so we're going to come back to that. And then we go to the top of the mountain, where that's where you've got the clearest picture. There's no money. There's no math. There's no dollar signs. There's nothing. It's just where you're headed. And then ultimately, it's the blueprint. The blueprint for what strategies can help you move forward. Because ultimately, we want to answer the question, yes, I can blank, right? Yes, I can retire. Yes, I can send my kids to college. Yes, I can fund a charity that my family's passionate about or lodging accommodations or whatever whatever it is, whatever's on your wish list, the things you're most passionate about. So let's jump into some of the things that you and Amy, your beloved, right, from the age of 16, had to do to right the ship. The very, I mean, the very first thing we had to do was really understand what money meant to us. And, and the way we did that was, was you asking us a couple of questions that required us to do a little bit of writing. One of the first questions you had asked us is, what were some of our money fears Right? What were we most afraid of? What kept us up at night most about money? And what I would suggest right now is, is to push pause on, on the podcast and actually take out a piece of paper and go through this exercise with me because this, this was really powerful for me. When, when you had us do this, Jim, this took time. So let, let's press pause on the podcast. 
let's write out this question of what is it we fear most about money? What keeps us up at night about money? Not having enough, having too much. If you have too much, is it going to spoil your kids or your grandkids? Not having enough, you're not going to be able to achieve or or reach some of the aspirations that you have for yourself, your family, for your people, your community. Yeah. For, and let it rip. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, it, it centered around not being able to take care of my people. That's what it really centered on. And for me, it was a pretty long writing exercise. I'm, I'm not going to spoil yet where I came to with that writing exercise because I want you, our, our podcast listener, to really find that for yourself, right? So this is a good exercise. Let's push pause for a minute and let's have you do a little bit of writing on what keeps you up at night most about money. How'd that go? How'd that writing go for you? I know for me, it was scary. The things about money that I feared the most was my ability to put food on the table, my ability to pay my mortgage every month. I had this crazy fear that I was going to lose my house if I didn't go out and grind and have money every day. Where would we go if we didn't have a home? And for me at that point, it was so much more about keeping up with the people in my community, keeping up appearances having the kind of home that was expected of me to have, having the kind of clothing, the kind of car, the kinds of things that I was supposed to have. The first time I did that exercise, that's where all those fears came from. And it's a powerful exercise because you're essentially admitting to yourself who the gremlins are money-wise. And getting it down on paper is helpful. So if you didn't have the opportunity to do that, maybe you were commuting, maybe you were at the gym, we really encourage you to take a couple of minutes and do it. Get it down on paper. The two big ones that we were trying to accomplish in the first module was that first one of what keeps you up at night about money. The second question being, what does financial sobriety look like to you? And I hope if you took the time to go through these writing exercises that something meaningful came out of that exercise for you. What did that feel like for you when we were talking about it last time? Well, it just lightens me up. I think those kinds of writing exercises, what does it mean to you? Is it a simple walk in the park with a loved one or just your dog? Is it going to the coffee shop and getting a latte and just having some time to be by yourself and think or connecting with an old friend? It's a very personal journey. Yeah. What what does financial sobriety look like to me could be very different than what does financial sobriety look like to you? I'm glad you got some real takeaway and, and that podcast episode just help you and me each with our own journey of financial sobriety. Yeah, because ordinarily at Christmas, it's, you know, caution to the wind, light up the credit card a little bit with a whole bunch of stuff, get my wife all upset at, you know, the fact that I bought her more than our our dollar threshold of what we're willing to spend. And I sneak a couple more presents. And why did you do that? And she gets mad at me. And what's the point of that when the, the two of us are on the same page about the things we want to accomplish financially? I don't know. It's a, it's a powerful exercise. Yeah, it, it just it makes sense. And I think before we get into teaching and, and what we're going to be learning with the next module, I think it's important to reiterate something with this, and it came from what you just said. Financial sobriety is a journey. It's not a destination. So even though we may have taken some time to do some writing exercises. You and I have done these writing exercises multiple times. Totally. Because we don't really ever arrive at this stage. It's just this constant progress that we're just always trying to improve upon. The idea of taking time this time of year to just sit down and redefine what financial sobriety means to me and what it is about money that's keeping me up at night, 
you'd be surprised. I mean, for me, the the answers to those two questions have changed a lot, even once we began this journey of financial sobriety. I bet. So that kind of tees us up pretty good, I think, for what we're going to talk about today. Module two of the Your Financial Sobriety Journey is all about what we call taking an inventory or in our firm, we affectionately refer to it as a bag of crap analysis. Exactly. The bag of crap analysis. More and on that later. Yes. We're, we're going to get into where we came up with that name. Um, but this is really the starting point for your financial sobriety. Once we get an idea of what keeps us up at night about money, what our definition of financial sobriety looks like, those really set the stage for the direction of where we're going. The next step and what we're going to really get into here in this episode and probably into the next episode is this idea of taking an inventory, of being able to gather a lot of data about where I am today so I can then begin to realize whether or not I'm on path, I'm on track to go from where I am today to what that vision of financial sobriety really looks like. So one thing I would like to add to that is this concept of how we measure progress. Absolutely. We measure progress backwards, not forwards. Tell me more about that. And it's a concept that I learned a number of years ago in a program called the Strategic Coach, Dan Sullivan's program, who some of our listeners may be in that program or be familiar with Dan. And it's this concept that if you constantly are measuring your goals or your objectives by looking forward, it's like the horizon. You can't reach it. It just keeps constantly getting pushed out in front of you. Well, I would imagine you're probably comparing yourself to where you are today to where you think you're supposed to be if you're constantly looking at the horizon. Absolutely. And let alone the fact that that's a moving target as it keeps getting, you know, kind of pushed out in front of you. Yep. What we do is we measure our progress in arrears. So we like to see where we come from in the last year with our personal balance sheets, with our corporate balance sheet, and measure that progress looking backwards as really the the barometer of how are we doing and where do we need to course correct? Yeah, it sets us up to win. There's almost a certainty that there's going to be some progress that we get to realize and feel good about. Absolutely. All right. Well, let, let's do this. Let's Since we're going to help people understand what this concept of taking an inventory, what this bag of crap analysis looks like, taking a bit of a historical perspective, going back again to that story of when you decided to leave the big Wall Street brokerage firm and start your own shop, when you opened up Gebhardt Group, there there was a reason behind that. And I think that gets us started on this concept of, of what is an inventory? What does a thorough inventory look like? Yeah, I mean, I had spent 10 years at this point with the big brokerage firms, and they have a very prescribed process to how they do things. And retirement planning in those big firms is all about numbers. I felt as though there had to be something more important than that. When right? you say numbers, you mean dollars and percentages. Dollars, percentages, probabilities of an successful outcomes, a, a very clinical math, math, left brain, yes or no model. Okay. I was frustrated by that because every client you meet with, they're actually, they're people. Can you believe that? <laughs> and people have different circumstances, different issues, different challenges, different things that motivate them. I didn't want the experience to be just rote and mathematical. However, I couldn't really put my finger on what it was initially. I mean, it, it took me the better part of, frankly, seven years to figure it out. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you had this inkling that there was more to people than just their money. 
but how to then turn that into some kind of process for helping people achieve their goals in a very profound way by incorporating these parts of their life that have very little to do with their money. That That's not a process that's just going to flush itself out, is it? No, not at all. I mean, and, you, you had to experience some things in life for this to happen, yes? Well, in the, in the same context that we measure progress looking backwards, being able to look back now a number of years later and realize how I can spend the rest of my life helping other people do that. And I think what came from that experience and, and why we put so much time and effort into this idea of writing down these two components to occupation how I give my gifts to the world and what my dream job was as a child is because so many people show up in our world when they're going through some major transition in life, whether they've been forced into the transition or they're planning for the transition. And there's so much uncertainty about what that next stage in life is going to look like. What's next? In many cases, we call it life 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, depending on on Where where they are. Right. So this inventory process is so important for helping us set the foundation in place for being able to have conversations about what life 2.0 is going to look like. The money part of it, really, with all the years we've been doing this, can sometimes get a lot simpler when we can answer some of these bigger questions like, how am I going to spend my time for the next 20 or 30 or 40 years? So getting into this idea of what my dream job was as a child how I give my gifts and talents to the world, and thinking less about the job descriptions or titles that I have and looking more at the skills, abilities, and desires. That's where we can get to this core root of kind of designing what the next stage of life looks like, and it starts with this part of the inventory. If you have a big bag of money, but you have no clarity on what you're going to do with your time after you're done earning a living, I think it's fair to say you're going to be pretty miserable. Yeah. That's been our experience. We meet so many clients that are on the journey of trying to collect as much money as they can, right? They try to accumulate as much money as they can, and then they're going to unplug and stop doing whatever that was because either they don't want to anymore, they're miserable, they physically can't, whatever it is. That discovery around what's next, life 2.0, 3.0, is pivotal, pivotal to this concept of true wealth and feeling wealthy because there's so much more to it that we're diving into here than the money. Well, let's do that. Let's let's go from occupation now because that's going to create a lot more conversation as we move through these different modules of financial sobriety. Let's talk about the R in wealth formation experience, that R, which stands for recreation. Now, recreation is just a big word for having fun. And what we're really trying to uncover here is that foundation for how is it that we bring fun into our lives? What are the things that truly bring enjoyment into our lives? And there's a couple of questions that I would suggest, again, you take out some paper, you press the pause button, and take a minute to answer these questions. Here's the first one. Describe your favorite activities for having fun. Be as detailed as you can be, but write them down. Get them on paper. Visualize what these activities are. Question number two, describe your your favorite places to visit. Really think about that. And it could be as simple as the park in my community to some place in the world that just brings an incredible amount of joy to you. What are those favorite places? Write them down. Visualize them. Third question, what are the things that bring laughter into your life on a daily basis? Be very specific. Write them down. See them on paper. Because when we take the answers to these three questions and we start building out the picture of what recreation really looks like in life, 
Again, this is all about how we align our money to support these things that mean the most to us. Because we're building towards something. We're building towards something. We're building towards a life after earning a living, a life after the major transition. It could be rebuilding life after an unfortunate transition. Sure. We we talked a little bit about this in the first and second episode. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I don't know about you, but I kind of started this year kicking my own ass a little bit. Really? Yeah. I thought it was supposed to be more of a uh, fresh start and, you know, resolutions and all that stuff. That's what I thought, too. But I got to say, I slipped a little bit on the being intentional with my money piece. So much of what we've talked about. I got this unexpected credit card bill that absolutely is driving me crazy. Those suck. Oh, they're the worst. Those are so painful. And I don't know who I'm more more pissed off at, myself or the other perpetrators in the crime, who I'll, I'll leave uh, nameless for today. No, I'm, I'm only mad at myself about it because it was really the result of just not sitting down with Amy and planning. I mean, it was a, a 30, just under $3,500 credit card bill. And I guess there's some good news with it. The good news is, is I paid the bill, paid it completely, but it didn't feel so good having to take a whole bunch of my emergency savings to do that. Okay. So one of the things we always talk about is we like to measure progress in arrears. Right. Right. We like to look backwards and, and see where from whence we've come in terms of the progress that we've made. So to, to help you with that a little bit, what would that credit card bill have been in 2005? <laughs> it do that, that's some, that, is, that is a very good point because in 2005, that credit card bill would have been closer to $35,000 not $3,500. I wish I'd known you then because the, your Christmas presents would have been epic. They would have been better than anything Santa brought. <laughs> Absolutely. And well, you did know me after the fact. I mean, you were the one who I got to bring some of those credit card bills to to help me get out of that massive hole that I created for myself. It almost was like a trigger that brought me back to that place of what it felt like to have these suffocating credit card bills. Again, the good news being that I was able to pay the bills. And when I look at what created the credit card bill for the month of December, it was, it was the holidays. I mean, I I put a little, I put a little thing on Facebook about my feelings about this. And Amy had commented that it was about the holidays and she's absolutely right. It was the holidays. And I'm very proud of us for applying some of the 10, 10, 10 principles to the holiday spending there wasn't really any spending. When we look at the first 10 of the 10, 10, 10 principle, there wasn't any real spending where I could see things we bought for each other and for the children that would be worthless 10 weeks from now. I mean, everything we did was experiential kinds of presents. Right. Got, you know, we the got snowboard, we a snowboard and, and, and golf equipment for loop miles and yeah, things the boys will enjoy for a long time, I guess. I'm just going to look forward in the theme of what we want to do here today with this idea of getting started on the right path. I'm going to take that experience from the credit card statement and use that as an opportunity to do a better job of working with Amy to actually plan some of these unexpected expenses, just so we're aware of it. Sure. How often are the holidays? They used to be once a month for me, but now with a little bit of financial sobriety under my belt, they come once a year. So it's a once a year thing. It's not, they don't come like every four years, like a leap year. So we, I mean, we know they're coming, right? We know they're coming. So that opportunity to be intentional, I'm just being playful here with you. We are kind of on the other end of that this year in my house. We had a Christmas budget 
like what my grandmother used to do when she worked for Lincoln Savings in Syracuse, New York, is she used to open up these little, you know, these little Christmas savings accounts. And she would get all excited because she set up, you know, three or four of them today for customers that came into the bank. And I couldn't tell you the last time I went into a bank, but we set up an automatic transfer where we had X number of dollars every month that went away. And the best part was Beth forgot about it. So she was all stressed in early December about Christmas. I said, whoa, whoa, time out there, partner. We have a Christmas fund set up. That's something I want to get better at this year because you really helped me when we talked about how I got that emergency savings to be set aside. Right. Was basically what you're talking about now. It, at the beginning of every month, I took 10% <laughs> off the top. Boom, 10%. Of, of every deposit we got and it went into the emergency savings. What you've told me I could do a better job of if I want to is to start now taking that 10% off the top and actually funding multiple different savings accounts for it. So I think one of the things that I'm going to do for 2021, and I'll talk to Amy about this when we do sit down and have that planning meeting, is that part of that money should go towards the holidays. And that'll give us the entire year to be able to save for it. And then we'll know as we get into the shopping season, what is the budget? How much do we have? And then we won't have that surprise come January 5th or 6th when I get the credit card statement like I was this year. I think there's a lot of people probably out there feeling that very pain right about now, right around the 10th of January where the credit card statement comes in and it's that, oh, did I really? You know, like what was that old ad about? Did I really eat the whole thing? Right. Did I, did I really spend? We did that. We spent that much on Christmas. Yeah. That's how I felt. And I got to say, I'm feeling much better from the time we started having this conversation just a few minutes in of having some clarity about what I'm going to do differently. I feel very much like I'm getting started on the right path for 2021. Two and kinds that, of pain, two kinds of pain, pal. Yeah. Pain of discipline and the pain of regret. Amen. How many years have we been doing things like New Year's resolutions and I got to do this, I got to do that. I'm going to do this this year, all that crazy, crazy stuff. Since the beginning of time. Yeah. I mean, that's the new year is all about how do we get started on the right path and get better as a result of what we experienced last year. How can I improve the quality of my life in all these different areas I want to improve upon? And it's all been about creating these resolutions where there's so much more I have to do to be healthier. There's so much more I have to do to be thinner. There's so much more I have to do to be wealthier and have less debt. All these things we have to do. And I'm so excited that we've learned to do something different. First month yeah. of the year, fresh start, let's go. And our guest today is both a dear friend, a coach, a mentor that is really going to shed some light, I think, for everybody on a very different approach. Staying with this January theme of getting started on the right path is just as we were talking about with resolutions. I don't know about you, partner, but it's about this time every year where I've got all these incredible things I'm going to change and all these incredible new things I'm going to do. Yet right about now, right about mid, mid to end of January, I get really overwhelmed and I shut down. And so many of those resolutions that I've added to my list of things to do this year, they go away because of how overwhelmed I am with all this stuff I've got to do to improve my life. And so much of that has to do with new habits, right? New disciplines. When you try to make that many major changes, 
It's hard. The classic is I'm going to lose 30 pounds this year. That's been the rinse and repeat for me for many, many, many years. And yeah, right around now, that third week of January, you're kind of like, whew, this is hard. I can abstain from this, that, and the other thing for a while, but you know, on a permanent basis, oof. I think what's helped the both of us when it comes to some of these disciplines that we're trying to put in place, it's not so much about doing more. When we met our good friend, Bo Eason, who we're going to have on the show here shortly, he's that first person you and I met that opened up our mind to a different way of thinking about how we get started on the right path. And that it's not about doing more. It's actually about doing less. It's about learning instead of saying yes to a million different things we can say yes to, actually learning how to say no to things and how to eliminate everything in your life that doesn't serve your ultimate goal, what it is you're trying to accomplish. And the simplicity of that is a beautiful thing. I still make mistakes. I still fall all over myself. But I'll tell you, it's just something I love being able to share with people are these these messes that I've made in life and being vulnerable about them and sharing how I've been able to get out of them. And, and one of the most valuable tools that you've helped me with is this idea that cleaning up my messes isn't about doing more. It's about doing less. Yep. It's about, as you would say, the never do again list. Mm-hmm. What, what I call my say no more list. Yeah. That's yeah. been a game changer. It's, you know, that if people just on this podcast, if you get one thing, I I would jump on this because everyone's got a list for you to do everyone. There's a bunch of things that you need to do to reach the top or to reach the financial, uh, you know, security that you want. Anybody can tell you the list. It's what you won't do that gets you there. I believe the only way to reach the top is by elimination. You have to get rid of things. When I was in high school, every guy, every friend I had, we were all on the same team, right? And then when I went to college, there was just a couple of us, right? And then when I went to the pros there, you're looking around, there's only you. It's because the person that can unload stuff could not consume certain things. They go to the top so quickly, so fast. And if you think about just this sentence, what won't you consume? What won't you consume? Is it social media? Is it broadcast media? Is it video games? Is it what is it? Is it this type of food? Is it this type of party? Is it this type of friendship? If you'll just make a list of what you refuse to consume, I am telling you that thing moves the dial so damn fast. Because your life now is so lean. It has no options. Like Matthew talked about, there was, there's no more options. You've eliminated all of them. So all you have is the loyalty and the dedication to a thing, which is your dream, your vision. And all you're left with is that. That is truly put you at a world-class level in a darn hurry. And that goes across the board, whether you're a business person or whether you're an athlete or whether you're a ballet dancer. Whoever will not consume these things that keep them away from being world-class, they go to the top the fastest. And they get there while everyone else is like, how did you do that? I want to start reimagining what those could become beyond my wildest 
visions beyond my wildest dreams. And do we have enough time for that today? I don't know if we're going to do that all today, but that, you know, kind of setting this theme for 2022 of just reimagining everything in our lives. Like a mini series kind of thing. Oh yeah. Like this concept of reimagined sounds like it's about 42 shows long. Yeah. I I think it probably will be. Okay. And while I may be trying to be funny, ha ha, I am obviously fully in support of the concept of reimagined the, the, the word that we used probably, eh, probably 100,000 times on the show last year was intentional. Yes. You and I do not believe in the concept of New Year's resolutions. Right. We believe in the concept of setting intentions. Yes. Also, the next door neighbor of which is the famous, now famous, say no more list. So whatever cup of tea you like, whatever flavor of ice cream you like, whether it be say, what if you don't like reimagine, tea? whether it be intention whether it be your say no more list, you want to put thought into the year ahead. You want to sit here early in the year and let's face it, let's not do what everybody else does. That's another thing that you and I have really grown accustomed to is not falling in line with conventional thinking and doing what everybody else does. Yeah. Where shall we start? Where would you like to start? Here's what I'd like to do first. I, the first thing I want to reimagine for 2022 in this keeping some consistency in how we've started each year of the podcast, I want to reimagine getting started on the right path, right? That's always the first place we start at the beginning of the year. And I want to do it a little differently this year. I want to start by reimagining this concept of predictions. Because wouldn't, wouldn't it make sense as a financial show that in the beginning of the year, we would put our you know, stake in the sand and put some predictions out there, especially with how famous your predictions are? The idea of predictions to me are just, they're funny. They're fun, ha-ha. They're fun to track and see how many of them we actually get right. And I, and I think there are some predictions that are good to make, like ones that are predictable because they've happened before. For example. The sun coming up tomorrow? That's a good one. I predict that around June 1st, my lawn will start turning brown. No, I'll take the under. You think before that? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, May. Well, I still water it through May. That's why it's when it gets really hot in in around June is when I stop watering it. Well, you may not be allowed in the, in the great state of California to water your lawn in May. That's true. I do have a prediction about water. We will have less water available for public consumption at the end of the year than we will at the beginning of the year. There's a prediction. I don't know how much less, but we will have less. Those kind of predictions make sense to me. Just because we got to the end of the year and we have lesser? Yeah. <laughs> Not more. Exactly. It just makes sense to me here. I mean, here's another prediction that I feel pretty good is going to happen. I predict that in 2022, I am going to be wealthier by the end of the year than I am at the beginning of the year. Hint, I ain't talking about money in the bank. Oh, why? Well, that may or may not happen. I have no control of that part of the outcome. You don't have control of your spending? I've got control. I guess I've got control over a few things that I can do with my money. So I can have some input on whether I'm wealthier or not, but things could happen in the market. Things could happen in life. Sure. But absolutely, will I be more intentional with my financial resources this year? Will I be focused on the people, places, and experiences that mean the most to me and making sure my finances are more in alignment with that this year than last year? Absolutely. That, I can predict, will leave me feeling wealthier at the end of this year than I was at the start. 
no matter what's in my bank account. Amen. Yeah. Imagine if more people did that. Excuse me. Reimagine. Reimagine if more people did that. Well, that's kind of why we do this show. Right. Is we give people a place, a, a safe place, where you and I get to share our personal stories, our personal experiences with permission of friends and clients. We get to share some of their personal experiences. And that creates this very safe place that people can tune in on a biweekly basis from here for the rest of 2022, where they can start exploring what it means to question the status quo, question what everybody else is doing, right? You mentioned this a few minutes ago. Let's do something that's different from what the pack and the herd does. This year, for those leaning in and wanting to become more involved in the financial sobriety community, this is the safe place to start doing that with our podcast, where you can start pushing the pause button on what you see as the status quo where the whole herd is going. Push the pause button. Think for yourself. Does that make sense for me? Is that what's right for me, for my family? If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.